0: Howdy, everyone. This is Matt Sewell. This is episode 18 of The Popecast, the podcast about popes for those who like history but aren't super crazy about history books. This week's pope didn't want the job and opted to live like he did before he had the job, which got him in some hot water at times. But the people who worked closest with him knew him only as the parish priest of Rome, and ultimately his personal virtue carried the day. This week on The Popecast, it's the 244th successor of St. Peter, the pope who was kind of crabby looking, Pope Benedict XIII. Pietro Francesco Orsini was a native Roman born to one of the most powerful families ever to grace the eternal city. Those who know their Roman and or church history will recognize the Orsini name, but probably don't necessarily associate it with morally upright behavior. From the Orsini's in particular came Popes Nicholas III and Celestine III, as well as over a dozen cardinals from the 13th through the 17th centuries, few of whom lived up to much good. But thankfully, the future Benedict XIII was an exception to that rule. He entered formation with the Dominicans in Venice at 16, taking the name of Father Vincenzo Maria at his ordination a few years later. This didn't sit well for his parents, who expected a different life of their eldest son, who also happened to be the heir to the vast estates of his childless uncle, the Duke of Bracciano. His parents went so far as to appeal to Pope Clement IX, who all but patted them on the head, and instead of bowing to their will, approved of the young novice's training, and even decided to cut Pietro's formation time in half to further thwart his family from trying to meddle. And it worked, too, because later on in life, Father Vincenzo Maria's example was enough to inspire several family members to join the Dominicans as well, as lay members. Ordained in 1671, Father Vincenzo had a bright mind, was a humble and zealous young man, and was completely devoted to learning all that he could. He was named a professor at 21, and barely two years later, on February 22nd, 1672 was named a cardinal by Pope Clement X, to whom he was related. Eh, pretty normal in those days, right? But, of course, he tried to refuse Cousin Clement's offer, but finally accepted after the Superior General of the Dominicans requested that he take the honor under obedience. Even as a cardinal, though, Father Vincenzo Maria was still strictly Dominican in his way of life, right down to his iconic white habit, kind of like a 17th century Cardinal Sean O'Malley In that regard, the Archbishop of Boston today, aside from his red zacchetto, will still even mow his own lawn in his brown Franciscan habit despite being one of the most powerful churchmen in the world. Anyway, three years after receiving the red hat, now Cardinal Orsini was given a choice between two dioceses over which to rule, Salerno or Manfredonia. Typical to his personality, he chose the latter because it was poorer and needed a great deal of work. Faith was lax among regular Catholics, the clergy needed reforming, and in his five short years there, the Catholic Encyclopedia recounts, quote, he visited even the most remote hamlets and was not less watchful over temporal than over spiritual things. He provided for the needs of the people, repaired churches, and his devotion to the poor and his constant preaching brought about a thoroughgoing reformation among both clergy and people. End quote. For the next six years, he led the archdiocese of Cesena in northern Italy on the Adriatic Sea, but he fell ill in 1686 as a result of the climate there, and so was transferred to Benevento, a landlocked diocese in southern Italy, just northeast of Naples, where he would stay for the next 38 years. In keeping with his zeal for souls, he rarely left his diocese once he got there, visited every parish at least once a year, was intensely committed to building hospitals and caring for the poor and sick, and even twice had to reconstruct the city of Benevento itself. Once in 1688, two years after he got there, and again in 1702. This earned him the title amongst his people of the second founder of Benevento. The lone complaint about his leadership, which unfortunately would come back to bite him in the you-know-what in his papacy, was to refer back to the Catholic Encyclopedia, quote, that his simplicity and childlike confidence exposed him to the wiles of some unscrupulous persons who abused his confidence, end quote. In particular, the wiles and unscruples were concentrated with cardinal Cassia, Orsini's right-hand man in Benevento, but we'll talk more about that character in a minute. Pope Innocent XIII died in March of 1724, and the conclave, which would eventually elect Cardinal Orsini, it was his fourth conclave that he'd participated in, commenced a couple weeks later. After two grueling months, it was the middle of May, the cards were still deliberating, so Orsini decided to storm heaven for help. It's said that he commenced a novena of prayers to his patron, St. Philip Neri, that the election of a new pope might be no longer delayed. Before the novena was finished, get this, he saw with terror that he himself would be chosen, and reluctant to accept a position which filled him with dread, he sought by all means in his power to prevent his election." But, no dice, on May 29th, 1724, the church welcomed Cardinal Vincenzo Maria Orsini, aged seventy five, as its new vicar of Christ. But he wasn't done protesting, though. He noted everything from his age, his physical weakness, and even a resolution he'd made long before to never become pope as reasons why he should be able to refuse the job. But it was only when he re- realized that convening another conclave would bring danger and confusion to the church that he submitted once more to the obedience. Of his superior general of the Dominican Order and accepted through tears the helm of the bark of Peter, he chose the name Benedict in honor of Blessed Pope Benedict the Eleventh, Pope number one ninety four, exactly fifty before him, who was also a Dominican. In general, preferring still his simple way of life, Benedict the Thirteenth didn't much like behaving like the Pope. Historian Eamon Duffy recounts that Benedict instead behaved quote, like a simple parish priest, living in a whitewashed room visiting hospitals, hearing confessions, and teaching children their catechism, end quote. Extremely honorable, by all accounts, right? Even so, on matters of church discipline, he still carried a big stick, at times. Clerical dress had apparently grown a bit lax, and he demanded that cardinals dispense themselves of any worldliness or outward luxury. He also took it upon himself to run the Grand Penitentiary, the Vatican court specifically responsible for forgiving the gravest offenses, and he even went so far as seriously considering bringing back public penances for certain extra-terrible sins. Can you imagine that? Think Dwight Schrute standing on the desk in the office with a liar sign around his neck. Sadly, though, Benedict the XIII's trademark unworldliness, as Duffy notes, can indeed be a bad quality in a pope at times. Holy though he was, he had a severe blind spot when it came to the administration of the church herself, and unfortunately left it in the hands of Cardinal Cassia mentioned earlier. Cassio was with the Pope in Benevento for some time before his election and came to Rome at the Pope's request to serve him there as well. But the shyster of a man was, as Duffy puts it, "...totally corrupt and surrounded himself with a disreputable parcel of cronies and profiteers. The administration of the Papal States became a public scandal. Nepotism had formerly been abolished by Pope Clement XI, but now the Church had all the evils of nepotism without the nephew." Then there's a Minnesota priest, Father Richard Kuntz, who runs the great site papalartifacts.com, who embellishes a bit more, saying, Benedict made him a cardinal and entrusted to him all the political and financial affairs of the papal state. Unworldly himself, the Pope would not believe what he came to hear about Cassia, who abused his authority and enriched himself to the detriment of the papacy. Cassia promoted like-minded self-seekers from Benevento to influential positions. Upon the death of Paolucci, the papal secretary of state, he had one of his own named in the new position. Their policy was to isolate the pope from the other cardinals and systematically enrich themselves by selling offices and accepting bribes. In the end, no one advised the pope but these corrupt and unscrupulous men. After Benedict's death, they were imprisoned by the new papacy, but they were never held financially accountable for their greed and theft. End quote. <clears throat> Wait a second. Were they writing about... When one, one was that again? No, yeah, they were both writing that about a Vatican from 290 years ago. Weird. Well, in any case, the papacy of Benedict Thirteenth was a mixed bag. He was indeed known as the parish priest of Rome, but this was an age when the papacy honestly just could have used a little more punch. But thankfully, there was still much unequivocally good that came from Benedict Thirteenth, including a few flashes of boldness, He battled the Jansenist heresy by upholding a papal bull issued by his predecessor. He went toe-to-toe with King John V of Portugal over a petty complaint about not being able to pick his own cardinals, and he canonized or beatified a ton of great saints, many of whom we'll recognize today. Benedict beatified now St. Vincent de Paul in 1729, and then he canonized St. Aloysius Gonzaga and St. John of the Cross in 1726, St. Margaret of Cortona and Pope St. Gregory VII, see an earlier pope cast, in 1728, and he also named St. Peter Chrysologus, the 5th century bishop, as a doctor of the church in 1729. Benedict XIII fell ill after officiating a funeral mass early in 1730, just after turning 81. He never recovered and died February 21st, three months shy of his 6th anniversary as pope. Randomly, but still interestingly enough, as his body was examined following death it was found that his heart was unusually large, fitting for the way he chose to live life. He's buried in the Basilica Santa, Santa Maria Sopra Minerva in Rome. So to wrap up this week, since unfortunately there are no easily found quotes from this particular pontiff, I'll leave you this week with three final tidbits about Benedict Thirteenth. One, he was the last native Roman to be Pope until Pius XII, who was just Pope 80 years ago. Two, there's reason to believe that nearly, get this, 90% of all current active bishops in the world today can trace their Episcopal lineage. That's the fa- fancy Catholic term for a bishop's ancestry since each bishop is ordained by a bishop who is ordained by a bishop, right, and so on. Uh, they can trace their Episcopal lineage back to Benedict Thirteenth. Benedict personally consecrated throughout his life at least 139 bishops from all over Europe including many who went on to the New World to serve. Incredibly, as a result, it's thought that more than 90% of the world's bishops, like I said, can trace their lineage back through Benedict Thirteenth. Incredible. And then lastly, Benedict Thirteenth is still potentially up for sainthood. I guess technically everybody who's died is. But his cause for canonization has been opened and closed twice, but it's been opened a third time. Uh, so the first two were in 1755, then again in 1931, but this third time will hopefully be the charm. His canonization cause was reopened in 2004, and the official diocesan process started in Rome in 2012, and the diocesan phase for his beatification concluded in February of 2017, hence why he currently bears the title Servant of God. This means one thing to anyone listening out there. Please pray for the intercession of Pope Benedict XIII. You never know. It just may be that sometime in our lifetimes, we could see this holy pontiff officially raised to sainthood. So that's it uh, for this week. Thank you again for listening. A shout out to our newest patron, Matt. Uh, thank you for your patronage, Matt. And as always, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review the PopeCast uh, at iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. The more you like and review and rate, the more likely it's seen and found by others. On the note of new patrons, if you're enjoying the podcast, want to ensure that we can keep churning these out, would like to become a patron, join the community uh, discussion. Uh, Patreon.com slash Matt Sewell, M-A-T-T-S-E-W-E-L-L, Patreon.com slash Matt Sewell. So for a buck or two an episode, you get early access to each PopeCast episode, so you get it a day earlier than everybody else, plus access to other sweet patron-only benefits. So that's Patreon.com slash Matt Sewell. And then lastly, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for everybody who already follows us there. Uh, that's at the Popecast at the Popecast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So that's it for this week. As we do on every episode where we have a saint or an almost sainted pontiff, we say, Servant of God, Pope Benedict the Thirteenth, pray for us. Until next time.